1: People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts.
3: Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report, a of his radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week. I'm your host, Blair Andrews. With me is my co-host, Hassan Rahim. Hassan, how's it going? Uh,
4: and you know, really uh, living the dream, suffered a lot of hard luck losses today, um, bubbled everything in DFS, but I'm really excited to, uh, <laughs> for a guest.
3: Yes, absolutely. Joining us on the show today is Ben Gretsch. Ben is currently writing the Stealing Signals newsletter on Substack. He writes about NFL bets at OddsCheckerUS. Follow him on Twitter if you aren't already at YardsPerGretsch. Ben, thanks for joining us. How's it going?
1: It's going good. Yeah, Stealing Signals uh, originally uh, wrote of his article. Sean Siegel, a thought product. He he came up with the the idea for the article and the, the name. Or just the idea that I would write about every team every week. I kind of came up with the, the actual structure of it. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, always love being back uh, on the road of Vizier airwaves and, and chatting with you guys, especially.
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are f- pretty familiar with what stealing signals is all about. But for anyone who hasn't, uh, hasn't checked it out yet, what, uh, what exactly are you getting into in that newsletter?
1: Yeah, it's just like a fantasy focused, uh, review of, uh, like game by game review. So I'm just, uh, for each game breaking down the, like, a the, the snapshares and like a key stat. And then the, the kind of the selling point is what of the game, um, I thought was signal, what I thought was noise. What, what trends are we seeing that we can rely on going forward and what is going to, you know, Peter off and, and we don't need to, to you know make big uh big actions on or if you know if it's noise that we can we can leverage then potentially we're you know selling players that are overperforming or or buying low, what have you. But um uh, yeah just kind of breaking down the, the action from, from every game. It's a you know it's a descriptive looking look back and kind of just walking through my process as I go through a lot of different key stats, from you know, running back high value touches, which is one sort of you know my favorite way to look at running backs, to you know, air yards and routes run, and, um, and you know, a lot of the stats you guys are are constantly discussing over here at Rotoviz, but that's sort of the focus of of the review.
3: Yeah, uh, it's definitely something that I I try to read every week when it comes out. It's uh, a good way to really orient your self to the week ahead i think and uh try and try and get a feel for how to interpret you know the games that just happened so uh you definitely want to check that out if you haven't already uh let's get right into the news first item ronald jones rushed 23 times for 192 yards and a touchdown he caught one of two targets for six yards in the bucks week 10 win so ben what are your thoughts on this workload split between jones and the rest of the bucks running backs
1: well, I mean, I think the one of the key parts of this particular game was that Jones fumbled early, and I would have not expected him to finish with a, a line of 23 rush attempt. Uh, we kind of have this pretty good feel that Jones is going to start, he's going to be the early down runner. Byron Left is going to call first and down runs up, first and ten runs up the middle every single time, like he did when you know when he had David Johnson in Arizona a few years ago. Calls the same up-the-gut run every single first and ten. Um, and then Leonard Fournette's going to be kind of the passing downs back and, and also play on early downs. Uh, but you're, you're sort of looking at, and I think this game confirmed this even more, you're sort of looking at one back in Jones that's going to be better in plus scripts and the, the other back Fournette that's probably going to be better in in trailing scripts. Um, Jones you know, continues to kind of struggle in the passing game. I don't I don't know if I would call his the, the incomplete target toward him a drop, but it was certainly a catchable pass. Uh Brady threw it pretty hard. But he's not, not – I'm a Rojo fan. He's not the best catcher of the football. Um, and he's got to get those fumbles in check and everything else. I, it's going to be tough. Uh, and I think Arians is kind of, uh fr- from a philosophical standpoint, wants to sort of rotate. He wants to keep guys fresh. I, I almost think because this game played out how it did, we're more likely to see more of Fournette next week. Uh, so it's it's a really hard thing to to like get super stoked and think that Jones is going to go on another stretch of 100-yard games like he did earlier this year. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it was a good thing, and, and hopefully you you took a shot with him. I, I played him in a couple of leagues because the matchup was pretty sweet.
4: Yeah, no, that's a really good point about, like, Leonard Fournette's role and, and where we can expect to see him get work next week. And that's a good point because this team is um, Super Bowl or bust. I mean, ideally they want to rotate a lot of these guys. They want to go in fully healthy. This offense is clicking – um, and the Panthers, they just kind of, uh, man, they got like 11 wet paper bags in defense, right? So why not? Um, that, that 98 yard run really sort of sealed this as like a Roger game, right? Like he took advantage of that, just smashed, broke, uh, kick, kicked the door down. And they were like, "Oh, right, everybody's going to feed him now? Um, one of the things that's interesting is um I, I know you mentioned Leonard Fournette as like the passing down back but man it's just it almost feels a little bit like a crime every time Brady doesn't target any of his pass catchers right cuz you got your Chris Godwin and you have Mike Evans both of them who um Brady targeted pretty heavily when this game was close um you have Antonio Brown basically uh, also there now uh people were calling him a league winner which I it's a little premature in my opinion um but yeah he looks to be a, a Better real life asset than a fantasy asset. Then you have Gronk and Brady apparently uh, revitalizing what they had in 2007 with Gronk and Hernandez, I guess. I don't know, man. Like, this is a scary offense when it clicks. They just drop so many points on you. And Brady, when he looks like he does today, um, it makes more sense, kind of like what you mentioned with Leonard Fournette and wanting to rotate and keep them fresh. Um, I guess I got a question for you as far as like what you're doing in Dynasty. Like, how are you valuing? you know, uh, Rojo, Leonard Fournette. And then, um, uh, at one point the rookie one six Keyshawn Vaughn, what happens here?
1: Yeah. At one point the rookie one a six, that's funny. Uh, Vaughn, <laughs> you, you gotta be a little concerned with, although he looked, I think, decent enough when, when he got a little bit of time, but yeah, he's not going to probably play much the rest of the year. And then you're going into year two and, and essentially have barely played. Um, as far as Rojo and Fournette, I mean, Fournette's a guy that I think you want to be selling at any point that it looks like his value is, is going up at all if he has a decent game. Um, I certainly don't have him anywhere. Um, I just am not, not typically going to be holding running backs of his sort of style into this point in their career. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's not a guy that I'd be necessarily buying um i i guess i could see buying him in redraft but i don't even know that i could rely on him enough to start him so i yeah i just don't have him anywhere and i don't i mean again i i would only be buying him because he does get some some pass catching work um and so theoretically has the upside the the high value touches i referenced you know receptions and and green zone work inside the 10 carries he theoretically has the high value touch upside in this offense but um i don't it's not really a bet that i'm making or want to make. Jones is interesting. He's still very young. He, I I think we can say pretty clearly at this point that he's a pretty good runner of the football. I I think last year, one of the points I tried to make all off season, this off season, and I guess even last off season was that people have been too quick to get on this guy. His his rookie season after that, everyone was convinced he was terrible. He only had 30 touches. That wasn't good. It's kind of similar to the point I just made about Keyshawn Vaughn. But he was super, super young, and they were still obviously at least vaguely committed to him going into the next year. So it wasn't really that clear that he was that bad just because he was bad on 30 touches. Then this past season, because he couldn't get out of a split with Peyton Barber, people thought he was bad, but what he actually did on the field was pretty solid. And he, he uh, uh, you know, lost a, a, f- a couple of his biggest potential runs last year were, were called back by penalty, uh, which, you know, hurts the. The old yards per carry, the most important stat we can look at. Uh, but he had some explosive plays in the passing game and all those things. And then this year, he's been pretty good running the ball. He, I think, leads the NFL in, in the 100-yard games right now. He started every game. Arians has stuck with him, even when Fournette's had some good games. So they're apparently seeing things in practice and those types of things that lead to uh, playing time that he's still getting these opportunities. I, I mean, I think you can, you can be optimistic about him. I've always liked him as a talent. I am also probably more on the sell side, even though I just said all that, just because he's not a guy who looks like he's ever going to be a big pass catcher. He's not going to be that high-value touch guy. You're going to be dependent on rushing efficiency. I don't tend to hold those guys in uh, in dynasty because as soon as the efficiency goes, they lose half a stat, their value plummets really, really quick.
3: Yeah, it's funny, you know, we talk about Fournette as being the pass catcher in this, in this backfield, which I don't know if that, you know, this says something about Fournette's talent or if it's something, you know, another negative about Jones necessarily, but I mean, I remember back when he was getting all those targets in Jacksonville, the running joke was about how How much he underperformed with them, how consistently he was underperforming. So, um, it's funny to see him now being the pass catcher. You would think, given that situation, that someone like Keyshawn Vaughn, who, uh, had a decent role as a pass catcher in college, would be able to, um, you know, have an impact in this backfield. Um, are you still bullish on him in dynasty? Like, are you buying him, uh, at a discount now?
1: Uh, um, I don't know. I was never really bullish on him. So mm-hmm. I think, I think there's an interesting buy opportunity now, but, um, I, yeah, I mean, you made a good point that he was a good pass catcher in college and you would and hope that would translate. I do think it's interesting that he hasn't carved out some type of a role. They certainly used three backs last year. They're, they could have done something like that. Um. At where they had Darre as the pass catcher. And they were doing that a little bit early this year with um, LaShawn McCoy playing on passing downs um, before Fournette got hurt right away, but for just for the first couple of weeks, I guess. But uh, McCoy's kind of been phased out. It looks like it's just going to be these two backs the rest of the way. So you're, if you're buying Vaughn, you're looking ahead. Um, you know, Jones has one more year on his contract after this year. Fournette, I believe, is on a one-year deal, right? So I mean Vaughn could theoretically yep. um work work his way into the, you know, sort of into a rotation with Jones next year on Jones' last year of his deal and then, you know, total best case scenario, he's a lead back in twenty twenty. But um I those types of bets are, are thin for me because teams can just always draft another running back. Uh so it's it's like it's almost what have you done for me lately and and we mm. haven't seen a whole lot out of him lately. I don't think he was like that great of a prospect to begin with. So I don't know if I'm necessarily buying right now. Uh, I,
4: I did want to switch over gears over to the other side of the ball. Um, I mean, uh, D, like, uh, DJ Moore kind of had a, he had a, yeah, the only offensive player on the Carolina side of the ball to actually show a pulse. Um, the, mm-hmm. the targets were kind of split pretty evenly between him, Anderson, Mike Davis, and Curtis Samuel. But Moore was the only one who literally did anything with his work. Everybody else was, um, I guess, really bad is kind of like overselling how bad they were. Like, these guys were terrible, just (laughs) atrocious. And, 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 like, I know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, like, an improved defense, but this is, like, war crime level bad, kind of how bad they are. Um, all right, So all right. They were bad. We got it. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's just. So I mean, I mean, like realistically, do you think, um, you know, Teddy suffered a bit of an injury, and like uh, he, it looks like he didn't finish out the game. They had PJ Walker in there. Like, do you think PJ like there's going to be a little bit of a difference with PJ Walker? What are your thoughts on on more at the very least going forward? Like, and like, what are your thoughts on on this offense? Like, just as an as a whole, with the concepts that they run.
1: The offense has been interesting all year, obviously. Like, coming in, it it would have made more sense, I guess, just logically, and I think everybody was kind of expecting this, that Robbie Anderson would be the deep threat and Moore would be running his routes a lot like where Robbie Anderson has been running it, but it's been the inverse more. Is this, you know, outside alpha receiver running downfield routes? Robbie Anderson, they're using his speed more uh, you know laterally than vertically he's running a lot of drags he's running a, a lot of these um underneath routes and, and racking up a lot of targets at a lower a dot and it's been successful i mean i think it's a you know smart spread out sort of modern passing game that, that makes a lot of sense um and you can't really knock it robbie's been good robbie's a very good receiver i th- i think a lot of Rotoviz type people have always been been on the the robbie anderson bandwagon um, but it hasn't been great for Moore, obviously to be in that role. Now he's still been productive and it's funny, like I've been getting a lot of flack. I was really high on Moore um, and I expected him to have a much higher target rate than he's had. But even at this deeper uh average depth of target in this different role and earning fewer targets, unfortunately, because a big reason I thought he'd get so many targets that they'd be running underneath routes, which would fit so well with Teddy Bridgewater because he loves to throw underneath. Um, and so more running the downfield routes is not a good fit with Bridgewater. Uh, even with that, he's been successful. He's, you know, he's taken a short pass, shown off his yak ability and gone to the house in that, uh, New Orleans game. He's also, been, he's also caught some downfield touchdowns. Part of the knock on Moore coming in this year was the guy can't catch any touchdowns. He catches all his passes underneath. You know, at what point do we realize that he's going to have a low touchdown rate his whole career? Well, now that he's playing his downfield role, he's been. Generating touchdowns, uh, not a ton, but he scored again this week. Um, I, I think with more, you're looking at it as this guy's a good receiver, even when he's probably a little bit miscast. He's good, and he's continuing to be good. He wasn't good for the last couple weeks at his worst two games of the year, and then he turned around and had a, a big game. You noted really was their their whole passing game this week, and he had another 40 yard pass completion right before half. Uh, overturned on review. Yes, he didn't technically catch it. It was, it was pretty close. Um, but it was jostling a little as he went down. No one knew it. They enforced a penalty. They got to the line. Bridgewater was trying to, you know, call a hot route to Anderson, um, instead of snapping the ball. And finally Tampa calls a timeout. And then finally after that, after the penalty and a timeout and everything, the booth initiated a review and they overturned Morse catch. I mean, he could have easily had an even bigger day. If they just would have ran a play. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about more. And then I think the switch you noted is, is interesting because PJ Walker is this guy. I don't know if anybody, you know, out there watched a whole lot of XFL. I certainly did, uh, cause I'm a degenerate, but he's a guy who is, uh, very mobile, very, um, very elusive in the pocket, but not just a scrambler. He creates time and then lets it loose down the field. I don't, I mean, you know, you can compare him to the, like Lamar Jackson or Kyler or somebody, but I don't know if, like, that's really the best example. He's a, he's a downfield thrower. He played, um, Oh, he played at, at, where did he play at Temple? Did he play at Temple? Under rule, I think. Um, I, I don't know. Called. What's that? Robbie? No, uh, PJ Walker. P.J. Walker is a good question. I think oh, he may have played uh, a temple. But he played in one of these college offenses that was like a spread offense. Yeah, he played a temple. Spread offense, Yeah, you know, extend the play, very vertical. You know, you're thinking four wide. And that's how their XFL offense was. June Jones was running it. June Jones, old Hawaii coach and SMU coach. Um, and that's how they, they ran this this XFL offense, the, the Houston Roughnecks. And they were uh, the best team in the league. He was the MVP of the league. He was phenomenal. Um, So I actually think if he's going to play quarterback for a while with Bridgewater status kind of unclear, he had a knee injury, that would ultimately probably be good for more. You'd probably see a lot fewer of these checkdowns, a lot more verticality to the passing attack. I mean, I think there's a pretty significant difference between Bridgewater and Walker, uh, Bridgewater being someone who leans underneath targets. Way more than average, I would say. And Walker, who leans deeper than like so anything, would be probably more likely to to throw downfield than Bridgewater. And Walker, I would say, <laughs> I, leans to the to the deeper side of of the of the spectrum. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, I think you still got to be you, you got to wait and see with more for sure. I mean, you, you got to keep holding. People wanted to cut him last week. I think that's crazy.
4: Yeah, this is another guy, someone who you were on. Antonio Gibson rushed 13 times for 45 yards and two TDs in Washington's week down loss to the Lions. He also added, uh, four receptions for 20 yards. You know, Ben, do you think, uh, Gibson did enough in this matchup to solidify himself as a locked in, uh, running back, uh, the three down balcow, if you will, for Washington? Or do you think McKissick is going to continue to siphon away this receiving work and be a bit of a pain, uh, for fantasy owners?
1: Yeah, I think. McKissick is unfortunately going to continue to, to be a pain. He's been running even more routes uh since they're by than than he did before. Or, I mean, I haven't seen the numbers for this week, but I have to assume with the number of targets that he saw uh, that that's true. But Alex Smith being in there is still – it's interesting. Like, McKissick saw double-digit targets each of these past two weeks with Alex Smith, and that's good for McKissick. And I think mentally we think it's inherently bad for Antonio Gibson – and that's probably wrong. I, I think it's probably the case that we should think about things like running back target rates on a team level and look at what's happening with McKissick as a note that Gibson's target rate probably is going to bump up as well, because Alex Smith throws to his running backs a ton. And we did see uh, Gibson catch four, I think it was four passes today. Um, you know, McKissick's still running a lot more outs, and he's basically Theo Riddick. Like, we wanted Theo Riddick to go away in Detroit for a long time, but... that's sort of where we're at with McKissick. I don't know that he's necessarily going to go away. He seems to be like an important part of their passing game, even though it's not an efficient part of their passing game, a la Theoretic. Um, But Gibson is pretty clearly their their green zone back. When they get in there, they're going to give him the short area carries. He's pretty clearly their lead, you know, first and second down back. And I think because Alex Smith is in there, his his reception should bump up from what they have been. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about him right now.
3: Yeah, I'm definitely optimistic about Gibson uh, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, you would hope, as someone who's coming in with a background as a a pass catcher, really, that uh, Washington would decide to use him that way. I mean, I thought it was interesting... You know, McKissick obviously has this huge receiving role. He also got a couple, at least one goal line carry today, which I thought was interesting. Um, and, uh-huh. you know, scored a touchdown on that. So, um, you know, that might mean nothing. Um, this is a game that I, one of the games that I watched a little bit of and saw him get that carry and also drop a target near the end zone. So, you know, they are giving McKissick this, (laughs) some of these high-value looks, um, so that's a little bit disappointing as someone who I think, you know, if we're hoping Gibson is going to, is going to get more of that work, um, you know, the fact that maybe McKissick isn't, doesn't look that good is a good sign, I mean, he did score a touchdown, but only gained six yards on eight carries, so, um... And only caught seven of his 15 targets. So it's not like he's been, (laughs) it's not like he's been, uh, he's been great on all this work. So hopefully they move more of that to Gibson, like you were saying. But, um, you know, McKissick is someone that, uh, Sean and I actually have been playing each of the last several weeks in our, in our main event team. And he's basically been carrying our, our, uh, our running backs because we just have no one else. So it's been nice to see him at least get that work.
1: Oh, I definitely had teams where I played Theo Riddick back in the day too. And and I don't think I have McKissick anywhere right now, but uh he's catching consistently catching a ton of passes, and that's that's certainly valuable when, when you're in kind of a zero R B build. But uh the the touchdown was in the fourth quarter, I just pulled it up. It was a long drive. They had just converted a fourth and thirteen down to the two yard line on the play before. Uh, I'm assuming they were just sort of in hurry up mode and had McKissick on the field and ran it with him. He rushed eight times for six yards. I'm not really concerned that they're going to use him, uh, as like a, a high carry guy, even though he ended up with eight carries. But yeah, I just want to throw that in there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, the one fun thing really about like at least McKissick's target share today is just how ridiculous it looks. I mean, I mean, this is a team that has, yeah, Terry McLaurin, man, like, <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's like, it's like they, like, you know, like they have this, like, alpha wide receiver who's just so, so good. And, and it just, like, reminds me of those old theoretic teams, like, you're right, like, uh, like when Stafford would check down to, to Riddick all the time, despite having, like, several better options. Almost feels like they, uh, you know, trying not to win or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that this team realizes that Gibson used to play wide receiver. And uses them a little bit more creatively than they currently are, which would be nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, this was actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic for Gibson, uh, at least the rest of his season outlook. I mean, frankly, this team, uh, Washington's going nowhere, like at all. Uh, they really should be judging to see if, um, at least what they have in, in terms of, um, Antonio Gibson, like what kind of a backfield they should or could be able to, to have or, you know, going forward and, what where where Gibson fits in and frankly they should be trying to use him a little bit more creatively than they currently are uh but switching over to the other side of the ball and the Detroit Lions um Matt Patricia probably being told uh, that uh, you're going to lose your job if you don't play this early second round pick decided to make <laughs> Swift the starter here uh so it was actually kind of cool watching Swift on the other side you know we're watching two rookie running backs having Pretty solid days, I thought. What were your thoughts on, on on Swift, just out of curiosity, and where do you think he ranks, at least for you, currently among all rookie RBs?
1: Yeah, he's been a guy that's had that that high-value touch upside all year. He's had the pass-catching role. He's been running the most routes out of this three-headed backfield, um, and they've also been giving him those, those high-leverage green zone touches. And so we've seen that upside a little bit, even in like a 40% snap share role. Uh, but this was really interesting, certainly to for them. I haven't seen the snap snap counts yet, but they they seem to have gone to a much more a much clearer uh, split with him in the lead. Um, certainly, the 16 carries would seem to indicate that. And then he also had five targets, and uh, AP and, and carry on combined for five carries and one target. So. Like he was very clearly the, the lead back and for a guy who's going to be running a lot of routes, catch five passes, you know, he ends up catching a touchdown in this game. He's also been a very efficient runner so far. He's looked very explosive. Uh, anything you'd want to see on film for, you know, anyone who, who might value that. I think you've seen it. Um, I think he's probably the top rookie running back right now because of that. I mean, just, just because of this role. I mean, and, and the fact that he could potentially have the type of ceiling that he showed this week, essentially week in and week out, if he could play seventy to eighty percent of the snaps because he can catch five plus balls. Um and he's been showing the type of you know per touch efficiency, whether it's in the pass game or in the run game, and then he's getting, you know, touchdown potential as well. I mean this this guy could be the league winner this year.
3: Yeah, I like that call, Swift at as the top rookie running back. I mean I think you obviously are looking at potentially uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire still being up there Jonathan Taylor still being up there neither of them have looked particularly good this season so um yeah it's kind of a question of how much do you how much do you knock those guys based on how poorly they've performed in year one and how much of a bump do you give Swift uh because of how good he's looked um you know I mean we talked about you know Taylor and Edwards Hilaire haven't been like Ronald Jones level bad but uh They'll still be top running backs, but is it, you know, it sounds like it's enough that you give Swift the edge here, or did you always have him above them?
1: No, no, I didn't. Um, yeah. And I, I just meant for the rest of this season, but as far as mm-hmm. like a, a dynasty view, I think it's probably fair too. And I was I was forgetting James Robinson. I always kind of do because yeah, right. he, he just doesn't <laughs> seem like a part of the rookie class. He wasn't, you know, in these discussions in, in draft season and then, he immediately vaulted ahead of all of them as they all try to work their way into roles. And he just started as a stud. Um So I think for, for redraft purposes, probably still Robinson won because he's just in this clear lead mm-hmm. role. And then, and right. then Swift, I think right now after this week, is it, a, a really good argument for two in dynasty. It's, it's tougher. I still have a lot of uh, very high hopes for Taylor. Um so is a little bit trickier of a proposition, but I, I think he could maybe make the case for Swift right now.
4: Yeah, Jay God is an absolute monster, man. Um I'm just I'm just kind of bummed because I was trying to convince um start trying to convince the quad to pick up uh to pick up Jay God and uh we could we could use a running back like him and uh I, I didn't do a good enough case, uh or at least I didn't make a good enough case. I was just I was just bad mouthing a bunch of people saying, Look, all these guys like like uh like divine is Zigbo, like, oh, so you gotta take the other guy and i didn't do a good job of <laughs> explaining why we should be taking J. god uh he went for three dollars in our ff in our fbg league on 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 oh, waivers no. i know right <laughs> <laughs> just the brutal t- toughest just the toughest saddest of scenes um which is i mean it's okay you know i mean like again we were we were optimistic on love at the time uh and even in retrospect like you you can't go wrong like, wrong with that but um J-God's up there in this Miami, uh, the Miami back. It, wh- how is it that these like late seventh rounders are probably, like, like, like from a production standpoint are just smashing while, while these highly drafted guys are like trying to carve out roles or losing roles, finding themselves in timeshares. shares. Like just the weirdest, funniest thing. Hmm. What, what, was the, what was the name of the Miami guy? Sylvan Ahmed.
1: Oh yeah. Sylvan so, okay. oh, Ahmed had a big day today. Another, uh, I, I'm a University of Washington alum and Miami has just become UW East this year. They, they started That's with Miles right. Gaskin, uh, and then now it's, they, Miles Gaskin gets hurt. They go to Samad Ahmed who replaced Gaskin at UW a couple of years ago. So it's pretty funny. They played together. It's pretty funny.
3: All right, before we get into our game this week, let's uh, take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to ComScore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month according to ComScore, so it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out. With a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash wire. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash wire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply.
1: What's up, listeners? This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting roto Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next Rotoviz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on apple podcast it's really easy it only takes like 10 15 seconds just do it we'd love to hear your feedback now back to the show
3: all right starting off our game we're going to play fantasy believe it or not uh Hassan, you want to remind the listeners what this what this game's all about
1: Is yeah the i mean you...
4: version of the game yes sir <laughs> <laughs> we went corporate we oh, sold we out sold out Except no one gave us any money. We're just doing it, doing it for the kids, I guess. I don't know. That's great. Um, so, uh, but like, uh, the, the only fun twist here is, uh, do you think any, so for the run, running backs and wide receivers, do you think they finish at top 24 in their position? And for any tight ends, I guess, and quarterbacks, do you think they finish within the top, I'm just looking through a sheet here. Do you think they finish in the top three? Um, so we can uh, get started here with Kalen Ballage, who rushed 18 times for 68 yards in week 10 against the Dolphins.
1: I will say I don't believe that he's going to be a top 24 back from this point on, but that's only because they're going to have guys come back at different times. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty good for the next couple weeks. It's interesting that he stayed so clearly ahead of, of Troy, Troy Main Pope and and definitely Joshua Kelly has, has fallen out of favor. So um, Balazs has kind of a, a lead role here. And this is an offense, when we talk about the high-value touches, this is an offense that's consistently generated high-value touches, consistently thrown to backs. It's been a lot of different backs. But even since Eckler's been out, uh, you know, when it was Jackson and Kelly for a few weeks, uh, Pope when he had that one big week, the Chargers have consistently generated running back receptions and, and running back touchdown potential. So, um, you got to like the, the lead back. It's worth chasing, even though it's been a revolving door.
4: Uh, I did have one question before we move on though, a little bit about Joshua Kelly. Why, in your opinion, do you think he's like fallen out of favor? He has such a hot start as a rookie. And, um, and, uh, you know, so like I'm curious about that. And, you know, do you think like when Eckler shows back up, He's just going to be like the guy again.
1: I think Eckler will, yes, uh, as long as he's healthy, I mean, health permitting. Um, Kelly, don't really have an explanation for it, but usually with rookies, it's the it's the you know the the stuff that you might hear about that relates to practicing that they're not they're not doing well in, in blitz pickups. They're not processing information well enough. I did notice in the game today that Herbert turned back in the first quarter. I think it was, uh, and Kelly was in. And went for a play action and Kelly was on the opposite side of him. Um, I speculated about similar with Jermichael Hasty last week. Um, there was a weird play with the Niners, but uh, it looked a lot like that play where it seemed like the running back just ran to the wrong side. And I don't know if, you know, if Kelly got mixed up on that or Herbert did, but that stuck in my mind because I'm, I'm trying to figure out the same question that you just asked me. And I was like, well, maybe he's just making a lot of mental errors like this, not picking up the playbook and these types of things.
3: Josh Jacobs rushed 21 times for 112 yards and two touchdowns in the Raiders' Week 10 win over the Broncos.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll say I believe this. They're, um, you know, this is Josh Jacobs. He's going he's to run a lot. Uh, De- Devontae Booker had two touchdowns later in the game when it was more in hand. and I think Booker's a really interesting stash. I wrote about him in Signals the last couple weeks uh, and picked him up in a couple spots. He, the, he looks very clearly like the this year's DeAndre Washington if something happens to Josh Jacobs. Um, and I think it will be popular now that he, he had this 81-yard two touchdown game behind Jacobs. But that was mostly after, um, after they had already put the game well in hand. Jacobs is the clear lead back. He didn't have as many carries last week, but he was coming off 30 the week before. I think they're just sort of managing his workload a little bit, but he's going to get tons of early-down carries. He's been an efficient runner. Um, and they're they're like forcing him a few targets a week, even though he doesn't run a ton of routes. They're, they they want to make it clear that they're using him in the passing game, or, or they're just trying to feature him in the passing game, whatever it is. But he's he seems like he's going to get you know three catches most weeks. So he's a he's a fine low end RB one.
4: Duke Johnson rushed 14 times for 54 yards in the Texans' Week 10 lost to the Browns.
1: Um. Yeah, he's interesting. I guess I'll say he's going to be sort of on the borderline, but I'll, I'll say I don't believe that he'll be top twenty-four just because uh, David Johnson will probably be back at some point. But um, he, you know, they they used him a ton last week after David Johnson got his concussion. From what I saw today, he was basically the only running back being used again. It was a uh, oh CJ Procyse had a had a reception, but no other back had a carry. It was a super windy game. Bad offense on both sides. You can look at this rushing line and be like, okay, it wasn't very good. But both both teams kind of knew that there was no downfield passing. Uh, you know, you, you can adjust your defensive strategy accordingly when there's 30 mile an hour winds. And I think that makes things challenging. Cleveland was able to run the ball, but they've been able to run the ball. Houston wasn't and, and they're typically not, but I think in better, in better situations, he could definitely have a little bit better efficiency than he had this week and hopefully catch a few balls as well. It's not a great, uh, great offense for high value touches because they don't, they don't use the, the running backs a ton in the red zone or as much as other offenses and they don't throw to the backs a ton. But, um, he just seems like he's going to have such a massive snap share that he's, he's worth starting for the, for the near term at least.
3: Russell Wilson completed 22 of 37 passes for 248 yards, two interceptions and a fumble in the Seahawks week 10 loss to the Rams.
1: So I guess I, do I believe that he sucks or do I believe that he's going to be good (laughs) the rest of the way? How do I say that? I, I think he's, I think this is a blip. Um, he's looked really lost for a couple of weeks in a row now, and I can't really explain that. Um, I actually had someone ask me directly, like, what's going on with Russell? And I, I'm like, I don't know, like, he just looked lost. Even late in the game, they needed to get back into it. They didn't look like they were into it. They didn't look like they were, uh, you know, in any type of urgency. It was like the old Andy Reid joke when they had Alex Smith, um, when they would just take like six minutes to when they're down two scores and there's six minutes left and they take six minutes to get their first score and then have no time left. That's what it felt like. They, They just ran the whole game out to get their first score. Um, And he had, yeah, he had a really bad interception early throwing back across his body on a ball. He should have just ran, uh, bad decision, even worse throw. Frankly, he could have, he could have thrown a little bit behind the, the tight end and still maybe made it work, but it was, it was just poor all the way around. He, he's made some boneheaded plays cut and dry, but I, it's interesting. I think people kind of expect Russell Wilson to play perfectly because he can and does so frequently. He makes mistakes like this. He made mistakes like this in the, uh, Crazy game at San Francisco last year. He threw a really bad interception that almost cost him that game. They ended up, uh, I think, pulling it out in overtime. Um, And then he he bounces back, too. He's still going to be the same efficient guy. He's not a guy that I'm concerned about, like, suddenly not having it anymore. He's obviously got tons of talent. Um, Didn't throw the ball to to DK Metcalf very much at all this week, but I don't expect that to be a a trend. So I, I think he'll bounce right back.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I just wanted to add that uh uh you know, maybe he could use Gordon Ramsay in his life yelling at him. Um I don't know. <laughs> but but um realistically, I think one of the bigger issues is that this offense has looked kinda of lost for a while, but like they've also tried to reestablish the run, but like uh it on the run on the roster. DJ Dallas is fine. Alex Collins has done a stint here before. Uh, but it seems, it really does feel like, uh, they're, the offense has gone back to emphasizing the run. Plus McVay seemingly has, and I, I don't know what, what they do, like, cause like, it, it seems like, uh, they have the number of the, C, the Seahawks team. And I think really all it does, all, like, it's just a matter of who can be stupider. I think, like, re- like realistically, I'm, I'm not, I don't think McVay is like all he's cracked up to be. And like, I really am not a big fan of, of Carol and Schottenheimer as like the, the coaching staff. So I do think that this is just a matter of them trying to, you know, getting too cute, like, um, and outdoing it. I mean, the fact that like they're not, you know, like the fact that we went through the first half and DK Metcalf doesn't get a target is just the weirdest, just the weirdest thing. I mean, I mean, yes, Jalen Ramsey is very good. But just, I mean, Metcalf has been lined up against very good wide receivers, like cornerbacks all season and he's doing really well. Like just, just trust, you know? And like, I mean, like the fact that they're not willing to be more pass happy and like pretend to be a balanced offense. I don't know. I, I feel like that's really, um, really kind of throwing a, a wrench in their plans because this, this defense cannot stop anyone. Right. So then all, all that happens is you're slowing down the pace of the game and adding more variance. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the Seahawks are were better off when they were playing in these track meets because, you know, Russell Wilson uncorked uh, is is a special sight.
1: Yeah, and and really, they've lost three of their last four now. I, I I do think it's worth noting that really the only reason, maybe not the only reason, but a big part of it is just turnovers. They they turned the ball over at least Wilson's turned the ball over at least three times in each of those three losses. Um, as a team, they have. Four turnovers in their six wins combined. So, yeah, I mean, you turn the ball over—that's that's tough. This is the first game he hasn't thrown a touchdown all year. He's been coming into this game; he was averaging three and a half touchdowns per per game, passing, and uh, has one rushing as well in the year. And he doesn't throw one at all in this game. And you know, this is probably sort of the the low point of his season, but it will it will flow back, I think, and and he'll. Um, They'll, they'll have to make some adjustments obviously some you know some teams are doing some some things that are making it a little bit more challenging on him he's he's been turning the ball over a ton, which is a big part of it but um i I just don't think I don't think we'll continue to see him turn the ball over three times a week you know i just don't I don't think we'll keep seeing that
4: KJ Hamler caught five of ten targets for fifty yards in the Broncos as week 10 loss to the Raiders.
1: Yeah, Hamlers interesting, really good prospect, right? Um man, you guys can speak to that too. I know you guys both do a ton of work on that. Um there's there's a lot of opportunity in this in this offense. At the same time, Tim Patrick got thrown out of this game and there was, you know, a come from behind element to this and and some of this volume came late. I got to dig into it a little bit more, but um certainly, you know, Judy has looked good in the last few weeks but certainly there's an opportunity for more than just Judy to be a part of a passing attack for a team that's probably going to trail. Drew Lock doesn't look like he necessarily has it, but he's going to he's going to throw when they're down. We've seen that. He threw 47 times today. So, it'll be interesting, but uh, yeah, I think the ten targets are certainly certainly worth looking at and and over the last couple of weeks it's been a pretty clear Top three receivers with Judy, Patrick, and Hamler all playing sort of full time. Um, I haven't seen the you know the snaps the routes for this week yet, but I'm assuming that was sort of the case again, considering that Hamler had the ten targets as the as sort of the full time third receiver.
3: Yeah, Hamler was someone uh, who, you know, kind of going into draft season, we were we were touting as one of the more underrated guys undervalued guys and then he ends up going in the second round so you know the NFL was was kind of all over that but yeah uh he's definitely an interesting interesting guy um you know true early declare I think he declared after his redshirt sophomore season and with some pretty good market share numbers too so uh really intriguing guy who supposedly is pretty fast but we didn't get to see him run Keelan Cole caught five of seven targets for 47 yards and a touchdown in Jacksonville's week 10 loss against green Bay.
1: Yeah, that was another win game. He also had a kick return touchdown. Um, I saw in one of my games. Something said that he had three touchdowns, but he didn't have three touchdowns. They only scored. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I played against him and he runs back a kick and he, he catches a TV. I, you know, obviously I think, um, he benefits a little bit with LaVisca Chenault being out in this game. Um, and, and it's just sort of a, a plus variance game where he runs a kickback and he also catches a touchdown and his line's going to look really good, but I, I'm not going to read too much into the uh, to the win stuff. I'm going to say, you know, I don't believe that, that he's going to be very good the rest of the way. I think Vizca will be back soon enough. Chark had that huge game in Jake Luton's first start, but that had a lot more to do with Luton being willing to push the ball down the field a little bit more than we saw from Minshew and certainly he couldn't do that this week as much with the with the win. So um, not really a game that I think is going to be real indicative of anything uh, going forward.
3: Yeah, I believe you, like a lot of us at Rotoviz, were really high on Visca coming in to the season. He's looked uh, okay in a lot of games and kind of disappointing in a lot of others. Um what's your what's your take on him now after, you know, eight games? Yeah, I think
1: um, I, I I'm I'm still super, super optimistic about him long term. I, I think he's looked really good when he's got the ball on his hands. I think we've seen the flashes that we've need to see. Um they haven't been a like a great passing offense. Shark has struggled too. But, uh, Visca's role is also progressively increased. Uh, his route share had progressively increased. He had set season highs in, in routes per dropback each of the three weeks before the week eight bye. And so I was actually really stoked about him last week in week nine. And then he, he hurts his hamstring and only runs routes on 20% of dropbacks. So we don't really get to see him play. And then he, and then he misses week 10. But to me, that progressive buildup was very similar to what we saw from AJ Brown last year. That's not to say he's going to do what AJ Brown did down the stretch, but. Very similar to what we saw from A.J. Brown. Very similar to what we saw from D.J. Moore the year before. Um, vaguely similar to what we saw from Juju the year before that. There It's not uncommon for rookies, and Blair, you've shown this, that the rookies are more productive in the second half of the season. It's not uncommon for them to build to a full-time role and then be a bigger part of the offense, but for it to take a little bit of a while. Um, he's been running a decent share of routes, but not being super productive. This offense has spread it around a lot, but I, I do think as he's built – there are some reasons to think that the second half of the season could, could be a lot more, um, interesting for him than the first half of the season. The tricky thing is now that he, he you know, he picks up this hamstring injury. It doesn't sound too serious. Hopefully he's back in, in a full-time role in week 11. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're a little bit spoiled with some of these other rookie receivers in this class with T Higgins and Justin Jefferson and so many guys just going off already. Um, that it's hard. It's, it's easy to forget that like what, the, the slow crescendo of LaVisca's rookie season is sort of more indicative of what we've seen from some of the, the big rookie years in the past where they've, they've waited until week 10 or week 11 to really start hitting. So hopefully we see that from him. I
4: wouldn't be too worried about Visca. I mean, this team is one and eight. They've got the inside track at the second, uh, overall pick. Um, so from a dynasty perspective, let me paint you a picture. Justin, v- Justin Fields, Jacksonville Jaguar.
1: <laughs> that sounds like pretty it.
4: good. Yeah, um, this one doesn't sound that good. But Balcom uh, Brown rushed six times for three yards and two touchdowns, and caught two of two targets for eighteen yards in the Rams' Week Ten win over the
1: Seahawks. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe that. I, yeah, the Rams' backfield is. Frustrating right now, right? I, I, I think it's going to be this three-headed committee. Um, you know, Daryl Henderson has looked very good, but they seem to really want to be incorporating um, Akers as much as possible. Henderson was banged up a little bit here, but but Akers ends up leading the backfield and carries. I'll be curious to see the snaps. We know that Brown plays way more on passing downs than the other two and has been running a lot more routes than the other two, um, which is – really sort really problematic for the upside of Henderson uh, or Akers. They essentially like Henderson's best games have essentially been just the rushing efficiency side, right? Like we talked about earlier in the show and that's tricky. And it gets exponentially more tricky when, you know, now Cam Akers is back and he's playing alongside Henderson on the early downs and then Malcolm Brown's taking all the pass passing downs. But At the same time, I don't think you can trust Malcolm Brown to do anything close to this, and be be like it's almost like he would have the most value because he could catch passes. And now that he, he, you know, he gets two touchdowns in this game, uh, he's getting these these you know green zone touches as well. But I just kind of want no part of this backfield right now, and I have parts of it. I have Daryl Henderson in a lot of places, but I but I want no parts of it. This is such a Matt
4: Isiata's like stat line.
1: It really is. (laughs)
3: We talked about the some of the other rookie running backs earlier in the show. I wonder where you would have Acres ranked at this point in the season in Dynasty.
1: Pretty far down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, behind um, you know Taylor and, and Ceh and, and Swift and Gibson and Robinson and. Who am I forgetting? I'd have him behind all those people, all those guys pretty easily. Zach Moss. I think I'd have him behind Zach Moss right now. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree. Um, I I mean, you still have him ahead of like AJ Dillon, who I loved, but Dillon (laughs) can't can't even get on the field, but that's, that's sort of the territory that you start to get in. Oh, definitely behind JK Dobbins as well. mm -hmm. Um, I yeah. I mean I, I think just based on draft capital you still have to have him ahead of anyone else, you know, like like a and Dylan had decent capital too, but um I'd have him ahead of Dylan, I think. But there's not I'm I'm looking through the teams right now, trying to think of oh, Joshua Kelly's an interesting one. I think I'd take Akers over Kelly. But like that's not promising either. I'd take him over Keyshawn Vaughn. <laughs> that's not that promising.
4: <laughs> yeah that's uh, Acres becomes the Mason Dixon line for what's a good running back in this class and what's a bad one right which is always a bad sign for someone's value right would you, yeah. you.
1: Right. Would you take
4: him sign. over Anthony McFarland <laughs> oh, yeah I, I think so but like that's a yeah. good that's a good one that's a good one but I mean so so Pat Karin and I have uh, have a bet that I absolutely have lost and it was Kareem Hunt versus Acres he wasn't willing to book me on Hunt versus Swift um so, but you know, is Hunt versus Acres and him and I had like a like a sidebar about it just just later. And of all like during rookie draft season and draft you know draft season back in like June July, we were we were trying to play the game of who is the Bishop Sankey of this class because like the the ADPs were out, wild out of control, right? And like we settled on like off the off the highly drafted rookies. It was us potentially Acres. And I think now it's like Akers and Dylan are like one of, like both those guys could probably be the Bishop Sankey, right? Like these workout metric warriors that have, uh, I guess Dylan had better production, but Akers has questionable production. And I know a lot of it points to his like poor O line, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just weird because like draft capital was keeping Sankey stock alive a little bit for a little bit. And, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see how Akers plays out because people might be looking at Darrell Henderson's, um, yeah rebound as a potential rebound that acres could have right
1: which is going to hold up his value enough that if you have acres i think you trade him i mean yeah. like honestly mm-hmm. i think in the offseason people are going to look at henderson and say well look you know acres could it could do this in year too and maybe he could but i i henderson's lost a lot of value as well being someone who drafted henderson um i i think acres is a pretty clear sell here here and now, if you can, but also in the off season, I think his re, his value will maybe even rebound a little bit as people start talking about that, and then he becomes a pretty clear sell in the off season.
3: All right, let's move on to regular news item number three. Deontay Johnson caught 6 of 11 targets for 116 yards and a touchdown in the Steelers Week 10 win over the Bengals. So Ben, the pass happy nature of this offense has really kind of stifled the value of the running backs. How do you see this offense, uh, you know, playing out moving forward?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting one I wrote about in signals last week where they've been running a, a, a decent chunk of, um, no back sets. They've been using Ray Ray McLeod as an additional slot receiver going five wide, a good chunk. Like, if you look at their snap shares, James Conner's been playing, and I haven't seen this week yet, but certainly in, uh, uh, I guess, week eight, week nine, Conner's snap share was down, but it wasn't because McFarland was playing more or Benny Snell was playing more. Those guys are almost playing none. Um, it's because they're, like, if you add up all their running back snap shares, it's only, like, 80%, or I think it was even lower than that in week nine. Because they're running uh, no running back sets twenty percent or more of the time, which is a pretty big chunk. You don't see that a lot when you're looking at snap shares, um, you know, as much as I as much time as I spend staring at snap shares. Because um, a lot of times you'll see running backs add up to over a hundred percent. You see teams that use two back sets. You know, we we're talking about McKissick earlier. That Washington certainly does that. Um, so the Steelers are going to these five wide sets and they're throwing out of, out of empty backfields. And, and even when teams do that, a lot of times they have a, a back on the field that's split out wide. Steelers aren't doing that. They're using their three receivers, their main three. They're not using James Washington as much. And then they're using Ebron a lot more. And they're using this Ray Ray McLeod. They're mixing in Washington, but um, he doesn't even seem to make the cut in these five wide sets as frequently. And, uh, and, and McLeod's kind of their motion man. They're their sort of, you know, gadget guy, what have you. But that's not good for, you know, James Con- Connor's routes run. It's not good for his receptions potential. And I think it is really interesting for the Steelers being a really pass heavy team the rest of the way. I thought it was really interesting. They were well ahead of the Bengals in this game, late in the third quarter, and still chucking it down the field. Um, they were in a windy atmosphere as well. They were just willing to really air it out. Uh, I saw JJ Zachary tweet that Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool were third and fourth on the week in air yards in a game that they won by a ton in a windy game. And then on top of that, Juju led the led the receivers in, in targets, had thirteen targets or whatever it was, and had a big game himself. So this looks like an offense that is going to throw a lot. It, it's tough to know what's going to happen week in and week out. This week we got four touchdowns from Roethlisberger. Each of Claypool, Juju, and Deontay scored. Claypool scored twice, and we got six targets to Ebron as well, who is kind of coming on as a you know a potential tight end pickup, somebody to to keep an eye on. Um, certainly is the the fourth option in the passing game, but tight end such a weak position that he's somebody that I think is interesting for sure. Um, it's a it's an offense that. We, we should probably start getting on. Even though their defense is good, they're shifting towards wanting to throw a lot more and doing these shotgun, you know, five wide sets and, and throwing even when they're leading. So um, they don't really need to be in a shootout if they're willing to do that.
4: Um, Jameis Winston completed six of 10 passes for 63 yards in the Saints a week 10 win over the Niners. Winston came in for Breeze who was struggling through a rib injury that he sustained in the first half. Ben, do you think the Saints' offense uh, might benefit with Winston on the center or do you think we'll see uh, Breeze start next week?
1: Well, I don't know about Breeze's health. That'll be, you know, interesting to see. It was certainly a, uh, I saw some comments afterward where Breeze told Peyton at halftime he wouldn't be able to play in the second half. So it, it There's something going on there. We'll see if he's healthy enough to play. Obviously, those can be really painful, the rib injuries. Um, Or I was described as really painful. I myself have dislocated a rib. It's painful. Uh, I I think Jameis... It's tough to say. Jameis is obviously a fun one for fantasy. He's willing to chuck the ball around. Um, Do I think he'd be better for the Saints offense? I actually kind of think the answer is no. Uh, Just because... What Breeze does, you know, this offense flows through Kamara. Breeze is, is as weak as his arm is now, and the fact that he can't push it down the field, he's still accurate in the short area of the field. He's gotten the ball to Kamara so effectively that you have to you have to think that a switch away from Breeze to Winston's probably not uh, a positive for Kamara's target rate. And then same kind of same with Michael Thomas. If you were hoping he was going to start putting together a stretch of 10-catch, 100-yard games like he did last season, you kind of hope that, you know, it's, it's with Breeze, who again, we're talking about five yard passes. We're not talking about, um, downfield, um, you know, sort of vertical options. He would be, Winston would be better for like the Traquan Smith, but Smith had a kind of a scary concussion. We'll see if he's, you know, when he's back. But, um, I kind of think the way that this offense has operated, Winston is, you know, he's, he's willing to take risks and take chances and maybe that's maybe that's a good thing overall but the two guys that I care the most about in this offense are Kamara and Thomas and those guys kind of rely more on precision and um as weak as, as Breeze's arm is I think it's probably a downgrade
3: yeah I think that's probably right I've always thought it was kind of weird that this team signed winston at all to be the backup i mean you saw last year when breeze got hurt bridgewater came in and you know we already talked about how he doesn't like to push the ball downfield so it was basically like a one-for-one substitution right the offense didn't miss a beat really at all um but that's not what you have with uh with winston coming in where it's a a very different style of play so yeah yeah, I think it would be interesting. Like you said, it would probably be good for Traquan, but unfortunately he also got hurt today. So um yeah, I think it was good for Camara owners to see that even with with Thomas back and with Breeze getting hurt, he still got eight targets. He still had a a huge game. So I think you can continue to rely on Camara. Uh but beyond that, it's a little bit it's a little bit uh you know, there are a lot more uncertainties I think without with Breeze. Uh, And one other thing we
1: saw, one other thing we saw in the second half was a lot more Taysom Hill. I mean, I don't have Mm -hmm. the exact numbers, but just watching the game, I thought I, you know, I was watching all the games, but I was checking in on that one a lot to try to see how Winston looked. And it seemed to me every time I looked over that Taysom Hill, or not every time, but half the time, Taysom Hill was in. (laughs) Um, I I think he, he definitely was under center for a, a handful or more, maybe 10 snaps in the second half. So, it might be a thing where Winston's the primary quarterback, but they, they do more of the Taysom Hill stuff. So, that's not good. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he didn't attempt any passes, but he did carry the ball eight times for 45 yards. So, um, yeah, decent kind of game for him, it looks like.
4: Oh, my God. Um, I... I'm interested. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say just imagining Sean Payton like, still continuing with his. Taysom Hill bullshit is, <laughs> is 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 going to. Uh, I mean, it's it's it's. If it hasn't already, like as if the Saints weren't embarrassed in the playoffs to Dalvin Cook last year, because they just continue to feature Taysom Hill. I mean, it's it's gonna cause it's gonna cause me to snap. Frankly, like I just like he's not good. Like he takes up a, like a pretty big chunk of the salary cap. To do hmm. like like he's somehow just, he's somehow, like, I don't understand what real role he plays that couldn't have been done by like a Rex Burkhead type or a most a new type. I don't know what, I don't know what like excellent value that he brings that he's worth that much, man. I mean, kudos to Sean Payton, I think just like the only way this guy really enjoys himself is by like um finding new and exotic ways to lose. I, I, I just really <laughs> cannot imagine why, why they were, and, and you know, you're in a, Division that's by all accounts, it's a one and two race between yourself and the Buccaneers for that, you know, to win the division and then also hopefully trying to snag home field. I just don't understand where, like, you look at Taysom Hill and you're like, this is the guy who's going to help us get there. When, like, it's,
1: seven and two, they've won six straight games. What do you mean he comes up with new ways to lose?
4: I know, but like, every time <laughs> Taysom Hill gets in there, man, it's just. It's, it's just, I, somehow, like, there's, I, I, if I, if I was better at math, I'd give you an actual EV calculation, but I can't. He's just not, like, his, his actual EV isn't there, like, for me to, like, just even value him as a player. But, like, like, this team really, like, I've been, been hoping for Jameis time for quite a while, cause, um, could you imagine Michael Thomas having to actually play, like, run deep routes, right? Like, he, like, it could be fun. Like, Deontay Harris could be unlocked, you'd get more Emmanuel Sanders, I don't know. Alvin Camaro wheel routes and said, I really just don't want Taysom Hill under
1: shot, like from the shotgun, right? Like, Oh, Taysom Hill didn't attempt to pass. I'm looking at, he did the, the, the the ESPN play-by-play I'm looking at has some, um, formational stuff that says where, where he was in a QB. He did play QB a decent amount. like you said, he rushed eight times. He also took a sack, even though he didn't attempt to pass. So the, the total QBR, um, involves rushing and, and sacks and stuff. His total QBR was 2.9. So strong <laughs> strong number for his rushing attempts and at his sacks and, and the plays yeah. he was in.
3: I think he had a fumble too, right? Yeah, that's right, he did. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Two fumbles. Um, Lost one and oh, recovered one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh,
3: man. <laughs> um, we talked a bit about <clears throat> some of these rookie wide receivers early in the show. One guy we didn't mention so on the other side of this game, Brandon Ayuk had 14 targets. Um, that obviously is, you know, really nice to see for those of us who were who were pretty bullish on him. How do you think he, how do you think this offense and, and he really operate if uh, Debo Samuel is back next week?
1: Well, Debo, like, I would be interested to see how many targets Debo has down the field at all this year so far. Like, all mm. of his targets have been behind the line of scrimmage. They've been jet motion tip passes. Um, two weeks in a row, he had a 5 550 or something like that and a 6-6-60 six, six, receiving lines where he caught every target he saw. And his air yards were negative in both games. His, his a dot was negative a couple yards because they were all either jet motion tip passes or he would motion in and then... Swing back to the opposite side for just a quick swing pass beyond the line of scrimmage, but this guy was not not seeing targets down the field at all. And so if he's back and they continue to use him like that, I think Ayuk's still going to be the downfield main guy, um, and Kendrick Bourne and, and potentially Rich James, depending on sort of how it all works out. I'm curious to go back and look at Ayuk's numbers and look at his A. Dot and 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 see if. You know, I, I know his touchdown was on a swing pass, like I just described, and I presume that a lot of those targets were sort of that same type of usage that he was getting. But he also, in, in other games when Debo was in the in the in the offense, was seeing uh, pass steps down the field and seeing decent air yard numbers. So I think, regardless, they're going to find a role for this guy, and uh, he might be sort of the primary downfield weapon, which would be a pretty sweet situation. So. Either way, I mean, I think he's been very good. He's somebody – I was very high on Chenault, as you mentioned earlier. He's somebody – this offseason I had such a hard time weighing Aiyuk and Chenault. I had an easier time putting Chenault ahead of some other guys that, um, you know, in rookie drafts with that, frankly, maybe I shouldn't have been putting him over. Like, I, I think T. Higgins was one, but certainly, like, Denzel Mims and Michael Pittman and some of these guys that a lot of people are like, you have to have them over Chenault, and I just didn't see that. Aiyuk and Chenault was – uh, one that I went back and forth on all offseason. Cause, uh, you could sort of this forgotten first rounder. Like they traded up, they drafted him, they liked him a lot and, uh, they're using him. He's, he's good. He's, he should be considered, you know, in this Rager, Jefferson, Lamb group based, at least based on draft capital. Maybe not, uh, totally on profile, but his profile is very strong as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm very optimistic about him the rest of the way.
4: Yeah, I I am as well. Ayuk is interesting because him and Debo, at least on paper, kind of look like they're the same guy, I guess, like just from like a you know biophysical profile, production, um, age, just sort of like you know just kind of the way they win, the kind of ways they they create you know yards after the catch. But uh, you know, I'll never forget um that uh, Kyle Shanahan drafted Debo over AJ Brown, right? Like, could you imagine if, if you know roles were a little flipped? Um. But, uh, but, uh, you know, so I am optimistic at, at the very least on, on Iuk's outlook. Uh, Debo, I don't know. I don't know, man. Cause like the guy had, Liz, like he had foot, like was it Liz Frank? Was it Liz, Liz Frank surgery that he had right in the off season? Um, no, he had a Jones fracture. Jones fracture. I, I always get this. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one mm-hmm. on TV. Um, <laughs> but, but, but like, I at the very least, like at least he's hopefully knock on wood healthy for the rest of the season and finishes it out strong because he's one that, uh, you know, kind of like you said, he looks really good, man. And this is a pretty dysfunctional offense, like all things considered. I, I, I like, like Nick Collins was exposed. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo's been exposed. CJ Beathard is, well, let's just put it this way. He's already exposed. Like <laughs> if he, if they decide to go to him. <laughs> But, like, so it's good to see that there's some modicum of fantasy value to be found here, especially after they lose Skittle for the season. Um Out of curiosity, what would you be paying if you were, uh, you know, to try and get Ayuk? I don't know if it's possible to even buy him this season. I know I'm not selling where I own him. But hypothetically, in the off season, what would you be moving to try and get him?
1: Well, I think any anytime you can sell older players for, for youth is uh, – is just such a positive move. So older productive players, I would, I would be the place I would start. But as far as like pick value, I mean, I think you can serve. I mean, probably not a top, I don't know the class well enough, the upcoming class well enough, but a top three or top five pick might be a little tough, but anything in the middle to, to back half of, of a first round pick, I think I you could be worth considering he's, I think he should have been going there this year in a good class, um, probably probably, probably should have been going more like, you know, one ten or one eleven. Um and he was going in the second round of most most rookie rookie uh drafts, but that's where I was talking about, you know, Chenault Nyuk having them valued. And since then for me he's only gained value. So I mean I, I think trading a trading a mid to late first to get him would be I'd be comfortable with. I, I think it'd be a win. I don't know. What do you guys? I'm not like great on on dynasty trade values. What are, What are your guys' thoughts?
3: No, I think I agree with that. I think that's about about the right value. I'm thinking. I mean, Ayuk doesn't have the sort. He doesn't have quite the same profile as a guy like a CD Lamb or something where you can right. see him becoming like a perennial top five wide receiver in the league. So. You don't want to give up, you know, a rookie pick that could be a guy like that. Like if you have a chance at a, I don't know, Jamar Chase or something, you don't want to give that up. But um, but I think, yeah, what you're talking about mid to late first makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think you probably get that done because you're right about IU, and I think that's known about him. I think that's why he was sort of the forgotten first rounder is he's not really viewed as this perennial number, you know, top 12 fantasy receiver, but I think he's going to be good. And, and there are misses in every first, you know, rookie draft, first round. Mm -hmm. And I think we've already sort of seen from him that he can play. He's made some plays down the field. He's made some plays on on short area plays. He's got a really good yak ability. Um, He seems like a pretty clear long-term fantasy wide receiver too, like top 24 guy perennially. So, Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of this class is so good, right? Like, you can make an argument for that. A lot of them were kind of undervalued, I guess, during draft draft season. Uh, I'm actually kind of hesitant to trade, like, a first for, for, I guess, most of these guys. Like, in the, you know, if only because we know next year's class, at least from, like, the guys who are theoretically supposed to go in the first round, um, they kind of rival what we've got in this class. Uh, I mean, Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore and some of these guys, like, they have, it, they're somehow better. Like, it's, it's crazy to say, it, but just hear me out, right? They've got the production, but on top of that, they've got the early breakout age and they're all going to be early declares, right? Like, like, if you wanted to point to some red flags on Ayuk's profile, it was the fact that he was a Juco College transfer and kind of older. Uh, you know, a handful of things that like, if you're looking to break ties, you want to break it in, case, you know, in favor of Jamar Chase, a guy who thoroughly outplayed Justin Jefferson, who is smashing the NFL right now, right? Like, I mean, kind yeah, of. But he's going to be like a top five pick. Yeah, just kind of wild. I mean, I'm kind of okay with like whole like like I think if if you find someone who, I like, guess it kind of depends on your draft and like really is more like trading that pick when you're on the clock, right? Because there are some people who truly believe in that they want this player, so it's probably like the pick for the player, but also the you know like. The uh, like you could probably trade away if you're on the clock for IU plus a small piece or maybe like a second or something, right? Because you cause if you're trading away that first, then you kind of want another bite. in if if the class is as deep as at least I'm thinking it is, right? Yeah, that's smart. Are there a lot?
1: Like I, I definitely like I said, I'm not scouting college as much during the season because I'm pretty heavily into NFL. But are there a, are there a lot more than Jamar Chase and or no more? There's a couple more that I've heard names, but
3: yeah. There are there are some really well so uh I thought those were two like Thailand. sort of the
1: consensus top two. Is that there's a, a there's, Clemson dude, right? Uh, Justin Ross. Right. Uh, well actually he, he got He had a uh, he had a
4: surgery, like a pretty bad injury. Right.
1: Okay. That's right. Uh Tylan um, Wallace Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman in really one.
3: Oh
1: right, Bateman.
3: Yeah. And um I mean, there's Devontae Smith, Alabama, but he's a senior as well. Uh, Wallace is also a senior. So those are two guys who, um, you know, would have liked for them to come out last year. But, yeah, I think there are a lot of intriguing guys in this class as well. Um, it's funny. One thing I've been thinking, like, Jamar Chase obviously outplayed Jefferson at LSU. But if you own Jefferson, I don't think you would trade him for a uh, for any first right now. Right. Right. Yeah. Isn't I that crazy? We expect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's we sort expect... of what I was thinking. Is him and and CD and and some of these guys you wouldn't probably trade yeah. for any first. And so yeah. IU could be more like a mid to late first. I don't even know, like a, a top five, like I was saying. But I was thinking Chase especially would be a top five pick. I was. I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to for Chase right now, or you know, a pick that could be Chase. Right. Right.
3: All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Please remember to rate and review the Road of Biz radio channel on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks again to our guest, Ben Gretsch. Follow him on Twitter at @yardspergretsch, For Hassan Rahim on Twitter at HRR5010, I'm Blair Andrews at Am I the Real Blair? Thanks for listening.